From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. When you turn 50, it's time to discuss colon cancer screening options with your physician. And here with me today is Dr. Seku Rollins. He's an assistant professor of internal medicine at Upstate who specializes in gastroenterology. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So colorectal cancer is one of the most common cancers diagnosed in men and women. Isn't that, is that still the case? Absolutely. It's um, the third most common um, uh, cancer in, in adults. Okay. And so that's still um, uh, something that we need to be aware of. And um, why do we need the screening? Well, the screening is important because colon cancer remains one of the preventable causes of, of, of cancer. So if you think about your lung cancer, your breast cancer, your prostate cancer, uh, those are um, detectable, but they're not preventable in the way that colon cancer is. So the screening is important in terms of saving lives. And we've shown that our uh, screening programs have saved lives and shown that they prolong lives as well. So it's it's just an important um, thing to do. So the screening actually helps you um, catch it early or before it becomes cancerous, I guess? Both of those things. So you can prevent something from becoming a cancer. And by something, I mean um, uh, colon polyps, which are the the source of of colon cancer. So you can stop them from becoming cancers and catch cancers in an early stage so that they can be uh, managed surgically before they spread. So who needs to be screened? I know 50 is sort of the um, the age where they say that we need to start being mindful of this. Um, is it men and women at 50 and up? or? So for men and women at average risk for colorectal cancer, screening begins at age 50. But there are certain factors that might increase your risk where we'd start screening earlier. Um, those factors might include um, family history. If you have a, a parent or a sibling or a child who had colon cancer, we'd begin screening either at age 40 or 10 years younger than that relative had their cancer. So it is a disease that sort of runs in the family? Uh, there's a strong hereditary component. Um, so we, we, when we see people in consultation, we ask the question, has anyone in your family had colon cancer? Has anyone in your family had other cancers that might fall into a familial uh, cancer syndromes that run with colon cancer? Um, for instance, there is if someone has a family history of pancreatic cancer, uh, ovarian, um, breast, endometrial cancer, uh, cancers of the, 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 the kidney, pelvis, are all things that kind of go along with colon cancer. So we don't just ask the question about colon cancer. We, we ask the question about what, across multiple generations of your family, what other cancers have there been? Now, what about other um, factors? Are there things that increase a person's risk? Or maybe are there things that decrease a person's risk for um, colon cancer? That's, that's a great question. So uh, we say that a personal history of, of bowel disease, uh, particularly uh, inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis affecting the colon, um, those increase your chance for having uh, colon cancer. People who have uh, diets high in red meat and meat which is cooked at high temperatures increase your chance for having colon cancer. Alternately, people who have uh, diets which are high in fiber um, have a decreased chance. Um, simply having uh, diabetes or other elements of the me- metabolic syndrome increases your chance for making uh, colon polyps. Um, people with um, uh, truncal obesity, people who have um, uh, insulin uh, insensitivity along with diabetes also have increased chance of having colon cancer. And then uh, there's things like you mentioned a high fiber diet um, that helps kind of decrease your risk, right? That's correct. So. All right. Well, that's good to know. Um, now, there's a lot of different ways to screen for colon cancer. 
I wanted to sort of have you go through all of those and talk about um, which one might be right for which type of person. Uh, there are two ways to think about um, colon cancer screening. Uh, one is uh, tests which can detect a cancer, and others think about tests that can prevent a cancer. So the, the detection tests would include uh, stool tests, where we check the stool for microscopic amounts of blood or for cancer DNA. Those are good detection tests. Um, other detection tests might include uh, x-ray tests of the colon, such as a, a barium enema. Um, those can also find a cancer fairly uh, reliably. Uh, whereas uh, many patients prefer to prevent a cancer rather than detect it. And the detection, sorry, prevention tests uh, would include colonoscopy, uh, sigmoidoscopy, and uh, CT colonography, which is also called virtual colonoscopy. So what are those? What's the difference between those? Colonoscopy and um, sig what's a sigmoidoscopy? All right, so colonoscopy is a test where you pass a camera all the way through someone's entire colon or a lower intestine or large intestine, whereas a sigmoidoscopy primarily just looks at the, the very end of the left side of somebody's colon. So you're probably wondering, well, what's that good for? If my colon is five or six feet long and I'm looking at the last one foot of it, it means that the, the previous four feet aren't looked at at all, and you'd be right, which is why a sigmoidoscopy has kind of fallen out of vogue in terms of um, screening for uh, colorectal cancer. Okay, so most people would be recommended for colonoscopy if they had a choice between the two? Absolutely. I think that um, sigmoidoscopy is far more common and more um, popular in, in countries where uh, non-gastroenterologists are doing the screening. In the United States, for the most part, um, screening endoscopies are performed by gastroenterologists who are highly trained who do thousands and thousands of these tests every single year. As opposed to in, like in Canada, they have uh, nurse practitioners and primary care physicians do sigmoidoscopies fairly frequently, which is why they're utilized in other countries like Canada and Western Europe. So compare for me the colonoscopy and the virtual colonoscopy. Right. What's so, the difference? So the virtual colonoscopy um, is basically a fancy CAT scan where they take hundreds and hundreds of pictures of your, your colon and then the computer is able to kind of collate those images into a 3D rendering of your colon. And the pictures are, um, they're fairly impressive. You're able to find large things and small things. Uh, but typically they say that um, that test is not responsible for finding anything smaller than six millimeters across. So if you can imagine that there were a polyp, which was say three or four or five millimeters, you couldn't reliably find that with the CT colonography, which is why the screening interval for that test is every five years as opposed to colonoscopy, which is every 10 years. Further, if you found something on the CT colonography, you'd be on the hook to go have a colonoscopy. So um, it's a good way to show there's nothing there, but once you found something, it uh, necessitates or it kind of uh, it makes necessary uh, a further test. But the virtual colonoscopy, there's not a camera inserted. It's it's just like having a CT scan, right? Or is there? That is correct. There is no camera inserted. However, um, as you would have to do for a colonoscopy, you'd have to take the, the bowel purgative, the cleanse, to clean out the entire colon, which for many people is actually the worst part of a colonoscopy because it's, it's a whole day of not having anything to eat but clear liquids. And then you take this voluminous bowel prep, and then you go in for the test, and they inflate your colon and do a CAT scan. So... It's you still, you still have to not eat anything. You still have to drink this bowel prep, so it's still somewhat onerous for some patients. 
Okay. Well, that's good to know. Uh, let me remind listeners, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with gastroenterologist Dr. Seku Rollins about colorectal cancer screening. Um, let's talk about the signs and symptoms uh, for people that they should be aware of to, to talk to their doctor about um, even before they turn 50, perhaps, or, or after. Um, what are some things that would um, be alarming to, to find that would drive them to get a screening? So in general, we say that people who have left-sided colon cancers, they tend to present with uh, symptoms of obstruction or bleeding. So they might have um, constipation, they might see some blood in their stool, they might have some straining at stool, they might have a sensation that after they've moved their bowels, uh, that there's still something in there. Um, so that's on the left side. On the right side, it can be insidious. It can be kind of slowly acting. So they can have kind of a vague abdominal pain. Uh, they can have symptoms of iron deficiency anemia, such as uh, shortness of breath, um, uh, lightheadedness. Those can be the first symptoms. And they can progress fairly slowly. So it, there may not be any symptoms at all. In fact, many people who are diagnosed with colon cancer don't have any symptoms which is why the screening strategies are so important because a lot of people, they didn't feel anything. They, they felt perfectly normal, and then they had their cancer found. Wow. Well, let's go back to the screening tests. And which ones do you recommend? Um, if someone comes in and has some of these symptoms that you just described, mm -hmm. um, constipation or, or bleeding, um, what would you recommend to them? Yeah, excellent question because, I mean, a lot of times the, the most sinister thing is not happening. If someone's having constipation or blood per stool, then it's, it's almost certainly just hemorrhoids, but you need to have a certain level of suspicion. So uh, if, if someone has long-standing constipation over the course of 20, 30 years, it's probably not colon cancer because colon cancer doesn't take 20, 30 years to kill you. So to be blunt. Um, however, you would manage a person's colonoscopy and they're still having issues, then you would suggest, hey, you know, we should probably look in the colon just make sure nothing's happening. Uh, we say that uh, screening tests are for people who are not having symptoms because screening tests are for a healthy asymptomatic people. So if someone's having symptoms, it goes from screening to, to searching out a diagnosis at that point. Um, so, um, Okay, so it, a screening colonoscopy versus a diagnostic colonoscopy? Yeah, so it, it's a little bit of a, a, an imaginary line. But, but is certainly, it from the patient's point of view, is it the same test? It's exactly the same test. Oh, it is, yeah, okay. So no, yeah, no difference <laughs> for the patient, yeah. So how often, um, so you go through the uh, colonoscopy and do you find out that same day? Do you get the results quickly or? Well, there's some things you will know that very day. So if you have your procedure and you have no polyps, we'll tell you you have no polyps. If you have a procedure and you have polyps, we'll say, hey, you know, you had polyps. We're going to send the polyps removed from the lining of your colon to the lab to be analyzed. We will have the results of that in two to three days and I'll send you uh, a copy of your pathology report so you'll know my thoughts about your polyp and what the strategy for surveillance might be. Some people's polyps don't require any special surveillance. So they, they need to have their procedure again in 10 years' time. Some people will need to have their procedure again in five years or three years or one year, depending on the, um, the microscopic appearance of that polyp. Um, and all of that's in, in the perfect circumstance in which someone has a perfect bowel prep. You can see every single corner of their colon uh, and someone has an imperfect prep, we say, gosh, you know, I really couldn't see everything I wanted to see. I'm going to bring you back sooner. So I'll see you in three months, sir or ma'am, and we'll do this again. But we'll have you drink two days of the purgative to make sure the colon is as clear as possible. So if when you're doing the colonoscopy, if you find a polyp, you're able to remove it 
right away. Absolutely. But if a person is having a virtual colonoscopy done and a polyp is found, you can't, you're not set up to remove it right then, right? You are not. Um, so if someone has a virtual colonoscopy and they have a polyp found, then that person will need to be referred to be seen by someone who can do a colonoscopy with polypectomy, um, like myself. Um, and we'll do the colonoscopy. The only downside is that having found a polyp on the CAT scan, if you can't find the polyp in the colonoscopy, it leads to understandable anxiety for the patient and frustration for the physician. Um, because CAT scans are great tools, but not, they're not perfect. Okay. Well, let's say that you um, find a polyp and you remove it and you send it to the lab and it comes back. Does it come back either cancerous or not? Is it just one or the other? There's a spectrum of disease. So depending on the appearance under microscope, you can say that uh, there are certain um, uh, cellular or, or nuclear changes that speak to what kind of polyp this is. Is this hyperplastic? Is this some kind of proliferation of normal tissue? Is this an adenoma? Is this a, a cell which is on its way to making a cancer? And among the adenomas, there are kind of different variations of disease. There, there's a tubular adenoma, there's tubular villus adenoma, there's villus adenoma, and they speak to increasing likelihood to make a cancer. So based on that pathology and based on the overall appearance of the colon, we can make recommendations about a surveillance interval. Um, but does it mean, did you get the cancer out, though, by taking the polyp out? Right. You take the polyp out, then you're done. That polyp is now in a bucket and no longer can affect you. However, your history has been changed to someone who previously didn't have polyps but now has a history of polyps, and you are at risk more than you were before. So if we say that the average interval for screening was every 10 years, if you had a tubular adenoma in your colon, now your interval of screening is five years. If you have a tubular villus adenoma, your interval might be one to three years, depending on the size of the polyp and everything else. So um, there are consequences to removing something, even though it can no longer harm you, it means that we know that your biology is that of someone who is likelier to make polyps again in the future. And is that um, time interval based on how quickly they grow? Is that why it's a 10 years or five years? So we say that there is a larger amount of cellular abnormality in the polyps which are likeliest to become cancers. So the ones which are the most abnormal, they necessitate quicker return to endoscopy. Okay. Can we talk about the risks involved in colonoscopy? Absolutely. And it's an important thing to talk about because um, every test has a different sensitivity and ability to diagnose a, a colon cancer. However, the more invasive a test is, the likelier it is to kind of cause harm. So we say that for an average colonoscopy, uh, there is about a 1 in 1,000 chance that you can have a perforation or cause some kind of bleeding at the time of the colonoscopy. So it's a small risk, but it is a risk. It's absolutely a, it's, it's an absolute risk. So eventually, someone is going to have a perforation of their colon. However, for every individual patient, your risk is 1 in 1,000 at average. So that sounds awful, though, a perforated colon. What do you do to fix that? Right. So if it's a very, very, very small perforation, you can have your patient move from the endoscopy center to the hospital where they can be observed. If they have a significant perforation, they may need to have a surgery to fix the perforation. Um, what we can do at the time of the procedure, if you perceive that someone has had a perforation, you can put uh, little metal clips to kind of um, uh, adhere uh, the, the, the hole closed. But if someone has a perforation, then more likely than not, they'll need a surgery to repair that part of their colon. Okay.
Good. Gotcha. Well, this is good information. People just need to remember at age 50, this is something to start thinking about and talking about with their doctor. Absolutely. So my guest has been Dr. Seku Rollins, an assistant professor of internal medicine specializing in gastroenterology at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.